Welcome back to the Circle C Reach podcast. In this episode, our founder, Mr. West, dives into what he believes is the lost art of the church. This next section session is going to be the lost art of the church today. And it is a lost art. It's called soul winning. And when I was at Bob Jones, there were 12, about 12 to 1300 of some preacher boys. Dr. Bob was the most inspiring man to win souls for Christ that I had ever met. And we were there, my first year there, nine months. He gave a report at the end of those nine months of what had taken place. Now, we go to, out to these extensions on weekends, and we preach, and we testify, and we witness, and all the rest of it. In my case, I played piano for the quartet. I push, play the organ on the street corners and all the rest of it. But when you led someone to Christ, you had to fill out the conversation so it wasn't just a name and so forth. Dr. Bob stood up and said to us, fellas, I'm proud of you. You've gone into six different states this year, and you have personally introduced to Jesus Christ over 40,000 souls. It was the greatest soul winning school in America at that time. There was nothing like it. And we learned how our theme song for the Preacher Boys was Souls for Jesus is our battle cry. Souls for Jesus will fight until we die. We never will give in while souls are lost in sin. Souls for Jesus is our battle cry. A mis- two missionaries were coming home, husband and wife. They'd been in Africa for over 40 years. they never had a furlough, and they were coming home for the first time. They rode on the very same ship that Teddy Roosevelt, way back then, the, our president, was on. When they came to the shores, the thousands were there to meet the president. His entourage left, and when they were gone, the missionary and his wife stood on the deck looking over, and all that were left were the ones that were tying up the ship. And I, he said to his wife, he said, here we are. After 40 years in the mission field, and there's no one here to meet us when we come home, she looked at him. She said, honey, we're not home yet. You see, we say home mission, foreign mission. There is no home missions. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. The most moment we're saved, our citizenship in his heaven, we're in a foreign country. We're ambassadors for Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20, now then we're ambassadors, missionaries for Jesus Christ. We teach that to the kids here at Circle C Range. The moment you're saved, you've accepted Christ. You're a missionary. You're in a foreign country. She was 16 years of age. She was one of our gals. She had marked her Bible for so many, and she was in her home, and she heard a noise, and she ran toward the front of the house, and as she went by the nightstand, she saw her Bible there, a little Bible she had, and she picked it up, and she ran to the front on the porch, looked, there was no one there, looked to the side, because there was a hill on the side, and there was a tractor-trailer overturned. She quickly ran over, another man was running there, and the driver was pinned under the cab, and the man said to her, you stay here. He said, I'll go get help. And so she stayed there. And she knelt on the asphalt and she knew he was in pain. She says, you're hurting. He said, I think I'm dying. She said, are you ready to die? He said, no. She said, would you like to get ready? He said, yes. And that little 16-year-old girl took her Bible and step by step, using the script, she said, for all of sin to come short of the glory of God, not by works of righteousness, which you do, but according to his mercy, saves you. Number three, Jesus alone has eternal life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, except you repent, you're going to perish. And then as many as receive Jesus. She went through the entire plan of salvation step by step. And she said, if you invite Jesus in, he gives you a guarantee of eternal life. And the man says, that's what I want. And that little 16-year-old led that man to Jesus Christ. Help came a few minutes later. He was dead. I asked the people in your church how many could have done what that little girl did. It's a lost ark. 
we are churches are filled with Christians that haven't a clue how to lead a soul to Christ. Here at Circle C Ranch, we've made that a mission field. Uh, we're celebrating 19, this is done in 2018. We started in 1969 with our first camp. We, every single week, every camper that goes out of Circle C Ranch has their Bible marked for soul winning. They practice on their counselors. They know how to do it. An eight-year-old can sit down and lead you to Jesus Christ. It's the greatest method I've ever seen. I picked it up at Bob Jones from one of the preacher boys, and I'll share it with you shortly. But we need to teach this. We need desperately to let these precious people know how to lead a soul to Christ. The mother came to me after I was at a service. and said, oh, Wes, how we thank God for Circle C Ranch. I said, something wonderful happened. She said, oh, yes. We prayed, Lord, we're sending an eight-year-old to camp. May he get saved. We picked him up on Saturday. And he was so excited. Mom, Dad, I'm a Christian. I accepted Christ. She said, on Monday, the following Monday, we had a family visit us from New York. They were a Puerto Rican family. They lived next door to us. And they had a nine-year-old son, and they played together. And then they stayed overnight. We had bunk beds. And I put the boys to bed and shut the door, turned out the light, shut the door. Came back about 10 minutes later, about to pass that door, and there was light underneath. So I opened the door to tell the boys, you got to get to bed. And she said, open the door. There we were on their knees. My eight-year-old was leading the nine-year-old to Jesus Christ. She said, I listened, and I couldn't have done it as well. Some counselor did his job. We need to understand something. We've got to make sure, first of all, our, our people are Christians. Dr. Tozer said to me one day, he said, Wes, I'm convinced at least 75% of those who name the name of Christ will never be in heaven. About a month later, I was leading singing at a uh, Baptist pastor's conference, and Dr. Norman Grubb was the speaker that day. And he stood up in front of those men. He said, gentlemen, I'm convinced at least 92% of those who name the name of Christ will never be in heaven. Where do they get these ideas? Matthew 7, 21, 22, 23. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, cast out demon in thy name, did wonderful works in thy name? Then will I profess in them. That word many is the majority. How do you know that? 13th verse. Same word in the Greek. Many are on the broad road that leads to destruction. Few on the narrow road to find it. The greater majority are not Christians that are coming before Almighty God, they think they are. So we got to make sure our people are Christian. You know the gospel is Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again. That's the gospel. The application of the gospel is you're a sinner, can't save yourself. Jesus can save you, repent, and receive Christ. What is repentance? Repentance is having a change of mind, doing an about face, and determining you're going to follow Jesus. Jesus made that clear. Not only did he say, I accept your repent, you're going to perish in Luke 13, verse 3 and verse 5. In Luke eleven thirty-two, he said to the people he was talking to, the men of Nineveh in that judgment day will condemn you because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. What did they do? Jonah 3, 8. The king said, turn from your evil way, turn from the violence in your hand and call unto God. Dr. Tozer said to me one day, he said, Wes, if you ever preach and you don't preach true biblical repentance, God's going to hold you accountable for every single one of the illegitimate children you bring into the world. Boy, it made me do some thinking. You see, the demons believe and they tremble, but they're not Christians. It's in the head only. I tell the young people, if you haven't had a life change, you're not a Christian. I didn't say that. Second Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anybody be in Christ, they are new creature. All things pass away. All things become new. You're changed. You're different. Now, let me 
share with you men the method we use here at Circle C Ranch. You can get it online, but I'll just share it with you right now. What we do, first of all, we make sure the young people know that they're born again. And then we have them take their Bible, and they have a red pencil and a ruler, and we're going to mark our Bibles for soul winning. Now, what we do is we take and we go to the first clean page in the Bible. Now, we have looked and found where Romans 3.23 is, page number. We go and we put the page number, put right, Romans 3.23, page number. Then you turn to Romans 3.23, you underline it in red. Then at the top of that page, you put down Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. You turn to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, find the page number, go back and put it down where it is at the top. And then go back to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and you underline it. Then at the top of that page, you put down John 14, 6, God's divine plan. Turn to John 14, 6. Underline it, get the page number, go back and put the page number down. And then you go to Luke, the, the top of the page, Luke 13, 3 and 5, repentance. And do the very same thing. Find the page number, put it down next to it. And then you go put down on top John 1, 12. And you go look at the page number, underline that, and put it the number of the page next to it. And then you can put First Peter 2, 2, and 3. Underline it. Put the page number next to where you wrote at the top of the page. And this way you go through the book, page, the Bible, page by page. You look at the open page, there it is, where to turn. You turn to it, there it's underwritten, underscored. And you look at it, yes, and then you toe and look at the top. And know where to go to the next one. It's chain reference by page numbers. Eight-year-olds can do it, and they do. It's a fantastic way winning souls. Marking your Bible for soul winning. We desperately need soul winners today. And we don't have them. People don't know how. I remember when I was first in evangelism, people would come forward. I looked at the pastor. Could I uh, could we have some, some uh, soul winners, please? People that lead some to Christ. I remember the pastors would look around. Who in the world do I have that can do it? So uh, later on, as I was doing evangelism, I'd come. I'd say, I'll come to your church for a crusade on two conditions. One, I come in on Friday night and you the board of directors meet with me for an extended night of prayer and then on saturday your people meet with me bibles red pencil rule on will mark bibles will practice it so i'll have soul winners and it worked wonderful we had we had many a pastor say my whole church has been changed people want to win souls it's exciting and then we taught them how to get a biblical burden for a soul which we'll share in a few moments but this is the way you mark your Bible for soul winning. Now listen carefully. When, you, when they come forward, this is what we teach our staff. When you come forward, you introduce yourself, and you find out what their name is. Make sure you get their first name so you're calling them by their first name. And then you take your Bible, and you, say, you find out they've come to accept Christ. You say, now this is the Bible the Word of God, you can believe it. You don't ask them if they believe the Bible, because if they, well, I'm not sure, then you have to go through prophecy fulfilled and everything else. You don't want to do that. You're making a true statement. This is the Bible, the Word of God, you can believe it. Then you take and you go to that first scripture. And by the way, you'll, we have, you'll see the, on our line, we have more than one scripture for each of these things. I just gave you one. And you turn to that Romans 3.23. Now, you read that, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, you don't 
have them read it. I know I'm going against some others, but I've got an absolute reason that's proof positive. You don't let them read it. You read it. You read it twice. The second time, you hold it in front of them so they can see it. Why don't you let them read it? Number one, they may be illiterate. Number two, they may be a poor reader. Number three, they may be stammering and stuttering. We do nothing to embarrass them. We'll do it. And then you ask them a leading question like this. For all have sinned and come short of the glory. We'll say the guy's name is Joe. Joe, that says all have sinned. That means everybody, doesn't it, Joe? Yes. That means me, doesn't it, Joe? Yes. That means you, doesn't it, Joe? Yes. Leading question, he just admitted he was a sinner. You go through it step by step that way. At the end, you make sure he's understood what you said, and you say, now, Joe, if you want to invite Christ into your life, and you really mean it, I'd like you to pray. I'm going to help you. I'll pray the prayer. You pray it after me. Make it your very own. That way they're not being put under pressure. And you start out, dear God, you don't call him father because he's not their father yet until they accept Christ. Dear God, the Bible says I'm a sinner. I believe it. The Bible says I can't save myself. I believe it. The Bible says Jesus died for my sins and has eternal life to give me. I believe it. Dear God, I'm sorry for my sins. I repent of my sins. Wash me clean in the blood of Jesus. Dear Jesus, I invite you into my life right now as my Savior and Lord. I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. And you go on further, of course, with the, as I gave you the scripture, 1 Peter 2, 2, to his newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And of course, 1 John 5, 10 through 13 gives them their guarantee. And that's the beautiful part. It's not feeling, it's fact. And that's what God said. And if you believe God, I tell them, if you believe God, then God says you have eternal life. Does God lie? No. Does Jesus lie? No. Did Jesus say he'd come in if you invited him in? His man has received Christ. Yes. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. Open the door. I'll come in. Yes. Did he come in according to what he said? Yes. God said, if you have my son, you have life. According to God, you have eternal life. You have eternal life. That's right. It's not feeling. It's fact. You have eternal life because Almighty God said so. That's the way you lead that person to the Lord, and it's so winning. Then you take, and after that thing, then what you do is you can teach your people. Now, see, we need sessions to teach your people how to get a biblical burden for souls. It is a fantastic way. Psalm 126.6 says, He, the, the Bible makes it clear, He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seeds, shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. He that goeth forth. There's the drive. Because you're a crucified Christian, you have a love for Jesus, you're going to go to win souls to Christ. He that goeth forth. Paul put it this way, that he himself had this driving desire because of the fact that, he said, the love of Christ constrains me, 2 Corinthians 5.14. The love of Christ constrains me. He that goeth forth and weepeth, 2 Corinthians 5.11, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. What we do is we ask God to give us the name of the person he wants us to pray for. Now, God will, within a matter of 60 seconds, give you a name. You claim that name. That's the one you're going to pray for. Now, he that goeth forth, weepeth. Now, notice, bearing precious seed, word of God, to come again rejoicing. The burden comes when you pray 
for that individual. Here's the way it works. It starts out as a person. You're praying for a person. And as you pray on a daily basis, that person becomes uh, much more personable. It's not just a name and a person. You've got an interest in them. And you're praying, and all of a sudden, one day you realize that's a never-dying soul. They're going to an eternal hell. And you will find that all of a sudden you have a burden. That's God-given. Now, it's easily broken. Sin comes into life, it's gone, you start all over again. But when God gives you that burden, that concern, consider yourself a fortunate individual because God's trusting you with an eternal burden. Let me give you a personal story on this. When I was holding crusades, I would go to a town, and uh, and I loved these small churches. I did have union crusades, but I loved the small churches. And I'd get in, and I'd ask the Lord to lay someone on my heart in that group that I could pray for that wasn't saved. And within a matter of a day or two, there was someone I'd meet, and I knew they were, and someone said, would you pray for? And the Lord would say, that's the one I want you to pray for. Well, I was in this meeting. It was Thursday, and I didn't have a name yet. And I said, Lord, what's going on? And I didn't realize God had a plan. It wasn't going to be a week crusade. It was going to go on for five weeks. God had decided he was going to do something special in that town, and boy, did he. But it was on a Thursday. I went to this home. Now, the pastor warned me ahead of time. He's a wife's a wonderful Christian. The man, he hates, he hates God. He hates preachers. He hates Christians. He's a hater. So I met the dear lady, and, and she introduced me to her husband. His name was Glenn. And I went to shake his hand, and he sucked on his cigarette, and he just enveloped my face with smoke. Now, before I was a Christian, of course, I'd have decked him. <laughs> I, man, I was covered with smoke. And he put his hand up. He said, Preacher, get this straight. I'm going to hell. I like it. You leave me alone. You understand that? I said, yes, sir. Turned around, and my the wife wanted to apologize. No, nah, it's all right. And I, we had the pastor had prayer. And I got on the porch, and the Lord made it very clear, that's the one I want you to pray for. I said, Lord, I don't even like him. I mean, I have to admit the first prayer was not a good one. I said, Lord, you know who he is. If you can save him, go to it. But the campaign kept going. I had to rearrange a couple other services. I had uh, crusades because God was in this thing. And I was praying for all I find. I had been married about oh, a year, year and a half. We didn't have any children yet. And uh, I was going to these meet meals. They invite me to lunch and supper or dinners, they're called, and I'd go to these meals, and at every meal, they were unsaved. The people were so, I mean, God was moving the town. The Christians were bringing their unsaved friends in to have a meal, and I preached to them. Well, I had a lot of women, so I called my wife. She's a registered nurse. She graduated from Bible school, and we got married. I said, honey, can you get away? I need help, and she did, and she came, and she was leading these ladies to Jesus at the dinner table. It was terrific. It was unreal. In fact, the fire department head man, the chief said, I can't come to your meeting. I have to shut it down. You got too many people. It was just one of those things. And, uh, and I remember I was praying for him. And one night, it was in the fifth week of the meeting. Marge said, honey, you got to get to bed. It was 3 o'clock in the morning. I was laying on the floor crying for Glenn. God had given me such a burden, I could hardly take it. I said, oh, darling, i got to get this guy saved. His wife that Sunday invited us to have lunch. I said, Get, get her in the kitchen. I got to get him saved. Got her, got her in the kitchen and sat, talked to Glenn. He tried to light a cigarette. I was going to blow the match out. I was using matches, but I didn't have to. He was shaking, so he couldn't do it. And he started to tell me how good he was. I said, Glenn, you know the gospel. You heard it. You lived it. You were brought up in a Christian home. But you're a sinner, can I went through it real quickly. I said, I'm going to do for you what I've been doing these last days. And I got on my knees by his couch. I started to pray, and I started to cry. I said, dear God, he's going to hell. Next thing you knew, he's kneeling next to me weeping. 
Oh, Jesus, I don't want to go to hell. I led him to Christ. That was the last night of the service. He came. The place was jammed. He got in there. Of course, he hadn't been to church in 27 years. Last time he was in church, he stood up, damned the evangelist to hell and back in and left. He comes in, every eyes on him. What in the world is he doing here? Nobody but me, his wife, my, my wife, and the Lord knew what took place. We had testimonies every night. I never been to a service like it. A guy get up and say, I got saved last night. Joe, I brought you tonight because you need to get saved. And everyone they picked on got saved. And can you believe I never gave a public invitation? I said, if you want to make this decision, when we're dismissed, you go in that room over there. And I couldn't give a public invitation. I never realized that they'd had an evangelist there. That's all he did was give public invitations. And he was immoral. And he had a horrible testimony. The Lord said, no, no. And I didn't know this. And the preacher said, well, the Lord told you that. I said, I couldn't give an invitation. The testimonies were done, and Glenn got up. And it was funny. You, you know how people go, huh? I said, well, we were lucky we could breathe. They about sucked all the oxygen out of the place. He stood up, and the tears started to come. He looked at him. He said, I got saved this afternoon. There wasn't a dry eye in the place. He told what Jesus did for him. And then he looked at the pulpit, looked at me, and he said, Wes Aram, thank you for caring for my soul. I was about two feet off the floor, I'll tell you. I was blessed. Last thing he said when he died, he told his wife, you tell that preacher, thanks, I'll see him in glory. I've never forgotten that. God will give you a burden, and your people need to know this. You need to have a burdened congregation where they're hungry to win souls to Christ. What we do in most of our churches, the pastor stands up, you stand up, you preach. You do the things that are going on, and that's it. And the people you see maybe on Wednesday, and most of the time you don't, and then we're going to talk about that. And it's a miracle what God does when he gives a burden. And this is what's desperately needed. There's a, a sign we give to the kids that they can take home with them. It's called Revelation Motivation. It's scripture in part. It says, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things written in the books <clears throat> according to their works. And, and there's a place there, was not found in the book of life, was dragged in the lake of fire. Revelation 20, 12 and 15. They put their name of the one they're praying for there. And they have that as a reminder. They're going to an eternal hell. The future has yet to be lived. What are you going to do about it? And we give this to the kids. Year before last, I had, uh, the last figures I had, we had over 600 teenagers get a name from God and guaranteed the Lord they're going to pray every day. They want a burden for their buddies. We've had reports of kids leading their friends to Christ, kids starting Bible club. It's amazing what God will do when we meet God's conditions. It's a lost art. We don't have it. Every one of your people should not lead a soul to Christ. I was a youth pastor. I had 30 kids that I inherited. They were wonderful kids, not one of them saved. I had the joy of leading all 30 of them to Christ within six weeks. I was like a hound dog after rabbits. They had to get saved. I taught them how to mark their Bible, and I taught them how to get a burden. Six of those kids went to the high school nearby. High school had oh, maybe 800, 900 kids in it. They asked me if I'd come out on Monday morning and pray with them at school, so I got permission to bring the Sunday school bus and and I prayed with them. There was no heat in the bus. It was in Buffalo, New York, so it was cold. And uh, I prayed with them. And uh, we do that every week. At the end, after the Christmas vacation, they said, could we invite our friends? They were getting burdened for their friends. And I said, sure. Within three weeks, they packed the bus. We had to find a home. We found a home with a huge basement, only two doors from the school. God was in all of this. 
And they were running over 200 a day in their Bible club. Kids getting saved just about every day. It was amazing what God was doing. We, I brought in chairs at the beginning. Then I couldn't even bring in chairs. I couldn't get them all in with chairs. So everybody stood. And it was amazing what God, the toughest kid in school, got gloriously saved. And he was like a miniature apostle Paul. He brought in the ones that were the athletes and all the rest. It was, he was the guy. And it, I watched God work in this school. Principal called me in about the month of April. He says, what's going on in my school? I thought it was a joke. I said, I gave a what? What's going on? He says, no. Everybody's carrying Bibles. Oh, I said that. Let me say, no, come with me. It was after school. I walked down the hall. He opened the door. There was the entire faculty, Catholic, Protestant, one Jew. He said, we all want to know. They had seen such a change in the kids. He said they had a 92% drop in juvenile delinquency. You want to solve your problem? Put Jesus in the heart of the kids. Changes everything. And I shared with those people the gospel. What Jesus was doing. They listened so intently. It was amazing. So I had a, I took a, had a night down at what they call Youth for Christ, Youth Time in Buffalo, and had an evangelist, was a buddy of mine, and we were going to be down there. What had happened, people getting saved, the entire dance band got saved. Now, before I was a Christian, that was my ambition, to have my own dance band. And uh, every one of them in the dance band got saved. And I said, how would you like to play for Jesus? They said, oh, we'd like that. So we practiced at the church. The first, I thought I'd give them a little lively number when the saints go marching in. I got news for you. Those saints weren't marching. They were trucking. And I had to laugh. And boy, we got them toned down. They played at Youth for Christ. And that was a night we had uh, 214 go down there in buses. And 14 of them were teachers. And the principal and the vice principal. They went and heard the gospel down there. It hit the Buffalo newspaper. It was a big thing. God moved in that school, was shaking it all the way through. That is what God does. And then, of course, I thought I'd be there for three or four years. And then the Lord said, no, it's time to move. And he moved me to this huge church of 12 people. Second Sunday there, 15 teenagers came. And it was exciting because eight of them accepted Christ. And they were the eight God used to put a burden of prayer on. They prayed so for that thing, the whole town was moved for God. And all I can say is this. Every one of my young people not lead a soul to Christ. When I became pastor, every one of my people not lead a soul to Christ. Had evangelists come the second year, he said, I've never seen anything like it. Everybody in the church knows how to lead a soul to Christ. I said, they're missionaries. The moment they're saved, they're missionaries. You got a job, pastor. Lost art. We need to teach it to our people. You get your people winning souls. And I'll give you this quick brief thing. I took over a church for a month. I said, I'll take it over on the condition. I can run it my way. They said, what do you want to run? I said, I want to run it around prayer meeting. They said, we only have 11 at prayer meeting. I said, that'll change. And I'll tell you about that in the next session. But I said, tonight we're going to mark our Bible for soul winning. They came, marked their Bible for soul winning. I watched those people bring their friends. And the fact, the last Sunday, there were 13 of another faith that came to Christ that every one of them had brought, been brought by someone who had been converted out of that faith. And they were coming to Christ. And one old man said, we've never had this much excitement in the church. And the prayer meeting, by the way, was jammed. It was a miracle of God. How to build a prayer meeting. We'll take that up in the next session. So men, you've got a responsibility. Youth leaders, every one of your kids should not lead a soul to Christ. I repeat, every kid that comes here to camp. In the wintertime, we can't do it... Uh, personally, because we have weekend retreats. We have, last year we had close to about 1,600 kids here. But we give the material to the leaders and we share with them how to do it and teach your kids so in the summertime, every kid learns how. You've got a responsibility, Pastor. You want to build your church? Make it a soul winning station. God bless you. 
Thanks so much for joining us as we learn how important it is to equip the people of our churches to lead their friends and families to Christ. Until next time, God bless.